0: On this episode of Documental, I have Anya Leonard to speak about classical studies. She is the co-founder of Classical Wisdom, and I thought she'd be the perfect person to speak about this topic. Anya, thank you so much for coming.
1: Thank you for having
0: me. I'm very excited about this topic. It's something that's very dear to my heart, and I really want the viewers to understand what classics is all about. So the first question for you, really is: is that, what is classical studies?
1: well classical studies specifically speaking uh refers to anything to do with the greco-roman world and that i mean that's a very broad category when you get down to it it's language philosophy history art literature archaeology but if if you want to be more specific it's um the time period uh between the mid second millennium mm, 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 no. <laughs> Uh, 6th century AD and um, the sort of specifics of the word even classics comes from the Latin classicus uh, belonging to the highest class of citizens Um, but the classics you know it's it's a time period of history that you're studying but it's a really important time period I mean there's lots of very important time periods but this one happens to be highly influential and uh, both specifically and much further on. Uh, and so as a result, it's, it's a very interesting time period really to, to investigate.
0: Now, it's a fascinating time period and there's a lot of value in it. For viewers that don't know, I studied classic myself for many years. I, I constantly drew so much value out of it practically every day in my life. I spent a lot of time trying to explain to people you know, that value. I want to ask you as the next question, what are some of the practical benefits? What are What's the value of studying classics and, and, and you know, taking from the past and applying it today?
1: Well, you know, every single individual have innumerable reasons why they find it practical or interesting. Um, I'm going to just address three specifically that at least apply to me that I find, but um, will will probably be applicable to many more. Um, the first is, is maybe a more academic reason. Um, until, you know, right up to the 19th century, you could not be considered an educated person unless you'd studied the classics, which means that while the classics period was directly influential to, you know, the midi time period, the Renaissance, obviously neoclassism, all this. Even um, more modern uh, philosophers, artists, writers drew on the classics because they all had to study it. So if you want to study William Shakespeare, you should know some of the classics. If you want to study um, languages, modern European languages, you should study some Latin, if you want to understand the history of empires and the world, like you should study the classics. (laughs) And if you want to understand psychology, I mean, you know, Nietzsche goes straight into the archetypes of of Apollo and Dionysus. I mean, every, every major discipline draws on it at some point or another. And if you really want to enjoy walking through the Louvre and the Prado and, and, you know, seeing great art, how much more do you enjoy it if you have studied the myths that they're depicting, if you've studied the, the people that they're describing um, through, through all the major disciplines. Um, I personally loved Euclid for studying geometry. Oh. Uh, you, you really, it just kind of is a fundamental uh, cornerstone of, of all subsequent sort of Western knowledge um, but the second reason, I think, is actually personal, uh, individual, is that what the ancients were trying to discover were human problems. You know, the they're, they're questions that we've been asking for thousands of years, and they're still important questions to ask, like, what is it to be a good person? You know, what is good? What is evil? What is happiness? What makes us happy? I mean, these are things that people every day are trying to figure out. and you know, they're getting lost in things like social media or these or that. But but the reality is we have to sit down and ask these questions. And the ancients, I don't necessarily believe that a lot of the solutions are full, entirety, philosophies that we should live by, but they offer a lot of important questions and roadmaps um, on how to live even today. And you can see this in a resurgence of Stoicism, for instance, that um, the kind of principles of realizing what we have in our control and what's out of our control uh, and and accepting the things that are out of our control and accepting ways to change what's in our control. And you see this in like AA meetings today (laughs) Yeah. Um, I personally am a bit more of an Epicurean, uh, but, right. the, but a lot of these philosophies, you know, answer important questions. And the, the third reason I think it's super practical is perspective. Um, it's amazing how humbling, how grounding it is when you're facing the day to day stresses, when you think about. The connection we have to people over thousands of years, um, and them going through similar things—whether it's your parent-child relationships, or or love and love lost, and war and heroes and homes—and you know these major themes—we um, haven't changed that much for thousands of years. And this, this, the the second part of that sort of perspective is that you know humans we're very pattern-seeking And we can learn so much by looking at the thousands of years of patterns that we have, the ebbs and flows of history. If you want to understand where we are in politics um, in regards to empires that grow and build and fall, in financial uh, policies and inflation, I mean, these things that affect our day-to-day life. Um, you can get such a better understanding about where we are, and what's to come in a way by looking at the historical examples. You know, history might not repeat itself, but it does certainly rhyme. And because as humans, we haven't really changed that much. Um, you can really predict in some ways what's going to happen next. Sometimes sometimes tragically you know <laughs> but it's yeah. good to know it's good to be aware of and uh, you know it was plato that first said all democracy ends in tyranny so i don't know where we are in that pattern um at this particular moment but it's it's the more you know the more you can make your own personal decisions the more financial political philosophical all of those uh, you really become so much more knowledgeable about the world around you right now by knowing that what the world
0: has been. Yeah, totally. I mean, there are so many points that you just discussed that we could branch off on. Like, this would be a very long interview.
1: you <laughs> <laughs> so many things, sorry, all at
0: once. <laughs> yeah, it's a tough question. There's so much to say. You might need a whole book to write it out. But uh, yeah, w- one thing that really strikes me about classics and what got me immersed in the, in the whole study is The fact that it makes you a well-rounded person, you're exposed, as you said, to to so many different disciplines, and it forces you to kind of think outside the box in unique ways. So you have, you know, today we're exposed to so much information. And if we have a fundamental understanding based on our readings of the past, we can contribute in very unique ways, you know, we can connect seemingly disparate pieces of information. And and I think that's very promising for the future.
1: Well, I I think just in general, if you come from, sort of mixed disciplines, you're able to approach problems, you know, in different ways. And I think that the modern term of intelligence is being able to problem solve. And if you use the tools of different understandings and perspectives, you're going to be able to problem solve in a way that maybe your average person doesn't even think of.
0: Absolutely. And it's a long-term investment, I think. We're very focused on short-term investments and, and short-term gains. Reading these things take time to, to understand. And then with time, you build this knowledge base that's extremely valuable and, and marketable in many job positions. I think it's just, oh. we, don't, we don't see the dollar sign immediately attached to classics. And that might be um, a force of conflict, You know, and, and it doesn't get the attention that it deserves. So that's, that's my personal take. But all the points uh, you just said are are fascinating, and I think everybody should really deep dive into those. Uh, the third question I have for you is a little, uh, kind of a shift. I wanted to ask you, what are three of your favorite individuals from this time period, and why?
1: Well, you know, that's kind of like taking your own children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a tricky one. Um, you know, and I I have a few that I like for very different reasons. so. I might put my first one as Sappho. Um, mm-hmm. okay. There's very little known about her and there's very little remaining of her. Um, we've only sort of read. So for anyone who wants a recap, um, she's uh, quite an ancient uh, uh, Greek poet who wrote in the Alien dialect and is, you know, where the term um, lesbian comes from actually is from her birth at uh, the island of Lesbos. And uh, she, you know, wrote about love, men and women. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, she also wrote publicly. You, you, there's a whole minefield of things you can discuss specifically <laughs> with her. But that all aside, you even read her fragments, and they're just so beautiful. I mean, they really do tap into the sort of internal beauty, timelessness that um, you want to find in these ancient poets and artists. And... I find that very rewarding and only in the last uh, few years a lot of her uh, full complete poems have been or not complete but more complete poems of hers have been found and that's it's very exciting to see that because of modern day archaeological you know discoveries and and saying that we're discovering more, that it's not just something that's just been found and sitting on a bookshelf. It's a continuous um, discovery. And I think that's really exciting, That the possibility of what we're going to find more of her work and other great poets. Um, My second, I would say, would be Epicureus, because I was saying I feel like I'm a bit (laughs) of an Epicurean. And right. I don't mean that just because I'm a foodie, because I am. <laughs>
0: okay. um, you're not alone.
1: Also, you know, the modern interpretation of Epicurean is actually a lot more like hedonism, which is unfair because Epicurus was a lot more about moderation. You know, you enjoy food in so much that you can enjoy it. The second you eat too much and you don't feel good, it's it's no good anymore. You know, and um, right. similarly with alcohol, like enjoy your wine, but if you're getting really bad hangover, you're not fully <laughs> really enjoying. It. So oh, yeah. moderation is was actually his key, and also personally, I think like many people, you know, when you're delving into your, your psyche and psychology and philosophy, the concept of death at the end can be frightening. Epicurus really delves into that um, of letting go to the fears of death and just um, enjoying our, our current lives. And I find that very helpful for me personally. And my third one I'm gonna pick is, uh, at first you're not going to think she belongs to the Greco-Roman world.
0: Okay.
1: It's uh, Cleopatra.
0: Oh, nice. Yes,
1: yeah, well, so for those who don't know, Cleopatra was actually a Macedonian Greek and was probably related to Alexander the Great. Um, And the Ptolemies uh, was a a branch off during the the breakup of the Greek empire that that went down to rule the Egyptians. And she was actually the first of the Ptolemies to learn ancient Egyptian and speak in the local language. And she actually spoke nine languages and traveled extensively throughout the ancient world, um, saw many of the ancient wonders of the world, And uh, was obviously a very brilliant woman, but also, you know, in her time period as a ruler, was a very effective ruler. She was one of the only Ptolemies to not have any riots during her time period. And of course, she's sort of more famous maybe for her entangling with the Roman Empire via Mark Antony and Julius Caesar, (laughs) uh, to put it politely. but she was a very smart woman, and she had to figure out ways to succeed in a, literally a man's world, and uh, uh, was, was quite literally a brilliant person, and uh, I think she contributed greatly to the ancient greco roman world overall.
0: Three excellent choices. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> What's that?
1: I could go on easily. But oh,
0: yeah, know. totally. This could be a very long interview. But I figured we could close this interview with an introduction of yourself, and, and uh, feel free to say anything else, any closing remarks. Uh,
1: well, okay. As uh, as you genuinely said, my name is Anya Leonard. I'm the co-founder of Classical Wisdom. Uh, we've been running for a few years now, and our our motto basically is to bring ancient wisdom to modern minds. And our goal is to promote and preserve the classics and just. Um, yeah, really present the classical world in an interesting and entertaining way to reach everybody. Um, so they, to remind everyone, it doesn't belong in dusty books that philosophy and history and art and literature uh, can be as fun and entertaining. I mean, they have survived thousands of years for a reason because they're really good and, and interesting. And um, I genuinely believe people's lives are are, Added to by by this
0: study. (laughs) Agreed. Anya, thank you so much for this. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. All right, take care.
1: You too.